Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Horses. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Lundahl Performance Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke. Today we've got a few different topics we're going to be breaking down. We initially wanted to cover in a very brief segment some ideas on splint boots and leg protection in general, and this is in response to some questions and concerns that we've gotten recently about that subject. So we're going to address that briefly, then we're going to move on to talking about uh, kind of a subject that we wanted to expand on from the last podcast where we touched on it, and that's the difference between driving pressure on the bridle on the horse's mouth bumping on the reins versus steady pressure and just kind of the evolution we've gone through in horsemanship in terms of struggling to figure out the difference between pulling a horse's face back to you vertical flexion versus driving the rest of their body up to their face up to the bridle in true collection so we're going to break that down just a tad bit Initially, we wanted to talk about this, uh, the splint boot thing, because I've seen a lot of people on forums lately. It seems to, it's like these subjects kind of go in waves, uh, waves of concern over various things. You'll see like four or five questions and we'll get a couple in our, into our inbox around the same time. It's interesting how that always plays out. And there's been a lot of kvetching lately about splint boots when it's appropriate and what kind to put on your horse, and can you put splint boots on too early, and what kind is the best, and this and that, and oh, I don't want to hurt my horse if I put the splint boots on wrong. And to us, that's a lot of needless worry, I think. I think it's a lot more simple. I actually think, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I actually think that splint boots in general, like the the legacy boots and other various things, um, they're less effective than people give them credit for, meaning that they don't actually bind up the horse's leg in a way that, say, really tight polo wraps could. And on top of that, these guys aren't working their horses hard enough to ever put themselves at risk for leg injuries in the first place. But what they need to understand is that splint boots at the end of the day really don't do that much for support. They're more about just preventing, you know, just being kind of a cheap insurance, cheap armor on the horses, you know, the lower part of the cannon and the fetlock area to just keep them from nicking themselves real hard, you know. Um, Beyond that, they don't have a lot of function. And so there's a lot of needless hand wringing over when it's appropriate and, and this and that. And I'd say, yeah, there's a certain size, of course, depending on how big around your horse's legs are. If you have a decent size that fits and you don't put them on like an idiot, you know, twisting them around like you're churning butter, um, <laughs> they they do their job and there's really no worry about any damage that they're going to do to soft tissue or any of that. It's just, right. it's completely needless worry. Yeah, well, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's needless worry in the sense that it's um, it's kind of like fretting way too much about something when if you compare like the the whole point of the like the boot around the the leg anyways is just to find a way like an easier way to semi protect the horse's leg without the risk of like say bowing the horse's leg or bowing the tendon damaging the leg by you know improper use of the polar wrap someone that's like super tight and super loose and they're all over the place and wrinkled up and yeah, stuff those, like that those boots were designed to be idiot proof exactly and the, like really those boots is, you could try and cinch them down as hard as you could and you really can't hardly hurt the horse's leg the way they're designed but there is a downside to that like the upside is that it does provide a little bit of protection uh, to the horses, like their fetlocks, especially them knocking together, or you know if they clip their, you know, the side of the inside of their cannon bone uh, with their hoof, especially if they have shoes on. Every now and then that'll happen if you have mm-hmm. one that's maybe not quite so coordinated. Um, so it prevents that. Um, or it's good for turning a horse out and the one that likes to run around and buck and play, and you know they might hit the fence with if they're striking out or something like. That. Like it protects the leg in that degree. But it does not have the downside, you know, to it. It it is idiot proof and it has that protection. But the downside then is it doesn't have the support that say a polar wrap does. And there's a reason why, you know, when you get to like from someone that just trail rides or rides recreation or just trains horses for that compared to someone that trains horses and makes them athletes and they have to compete, there's a reason why the ones that have the athlete in mind don't use splint your typical splint boot unless they're say turning a horse out or lunging them or something like that yeah. because it does not offer the support that a polar wrap would but if you're going to use a polar wrap you have to be conscious about how you do it you you need to have someone that knows how to do it show you and watch you for a while so you can get the the tightness yeah. right and everything because then you can ruin a horse's career if you do that wrong so there's there's positives and negatives to both but as a general rule a lot of people worry about whether they should use this type of splint boot or that type of splint boot or what you know this brand or that brand or whatever they're all overpriced anyways and you know like the polar wraps you can get for like 20 bucks and the boots which are much less protection are like 70 bucks yes you know it's insane well but less support overall exactly you know? and you're you're the it's really you're getting the 70 bucks because you you have less risk of like injuring your horse from having them laid up for like a year while they heal, you know? So maybe there's some value in that, Yeah. but you don't have the, the protection that you say would with a polar wrap. And that's not the intention anyways. Exactly. As a general rule, most people won't ride their horse hard enough anyways to warrant the need for extra support. Exactly. And in the show horse world, you know, a lot of guys ride their two year olds and, and colts and stuff with, just splint boots on the front feet in the initial stages. Just, again, it's just cheap insurance, a little bit of security, a little bit of protection there. They're not thinking about it in terms of, oh, I've got to support him and and blah, 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 because it doesn't have that effect anyway. Um, but, you know, I've heard, I've heard people say, well, can you put boots on a yearling, you know, a horse, or a horse that young or, or when it's appropriate? And my answer is absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they make sizes for that. There's no, again, there's there's very little risk as opposed to wrapping a polo wrap the wrong way. Um, and so it's only in the later stages of training when you're riding these horses harder and harder 
where you need that extra support that a polo wrap can provide and you just have to be more diligent about how you wrap their leg doing it properly and all these other things but but when you're riding colts and and you know if if they're not a show horse just general rule don't be afraid of putting splint boots on even if they're as young as a yearling or even a little younger than that if you're doing groundwork you want to minimize the risk of them clipping themselves real bad on the on you know either front or back legs don't be shy about using those boots there's absolutely nothing that uh you know that's going to go wrong right. there and it's the name of them too is a tad bit deceiving i've i've had this question asked before like well why would you wear you know use polo wraps okay that supports the leg and maybe that supports the the tendons or something but What's that have to do with splints? Like I will use splint boots on my horse because that's it's supposed to prevent splints, and it, it it has nothing to do with that. I'm not exactly sure. It's just a marketing term. Yeah, I'm not exactly yeah. sure how that name really comes about because I've seen horses wearing the splint boots that have popped splints. I've seen horses that wear polo wraps pop splints. I've seen horses that had no leg protection whatsoever, and they had like perfect you know go to the sale barn and x-ray the legs and they and the horse would vet completely clean right you know um so it's it's a bit of a it's an odd title but people put a little too much stock in the name um and as a general rule too if you go to like look at some sale of a especially performance horses more so um anything that is more of an athlete and they've had lots of miles or you know even just your regular trail horses had long rides and lots of miles um as a general rule, you'll probably find a splint or, you know, on one or probably both legs. If Especially if it's an older horse, like, say, a derby horse that's for sale or an old non-pro horse for sale, that's going to have popped splints in its life before. There's no getting around that. And it's not like you're going to find a boot that's going to prevent that. Yeah, it's you're just not, not realistic. You're not going to find a piece of leg wear that's going to prevent all wear and tear. That's like saying there should be a certain cleat made for football players so they never roll an ankle, they never get turf toe. Exactly. No, that's completely unrealistic. So we just wanted to put this idea out there briefly because we've seen so much concern over that, and really the concern, it's a little bit unwarranted. All right, so if you've listened to our most recent podcast, you've probably seen that we've been on a bit of a of a rabbit trail in terms of, you know, what type of softness we're trying to create in our horses, both mental and physical, how they need to respond to pressure on their face, pressure on the bit, what we want to be doing with our hands, just what kind of response we're looking for and what type of softness we're trying to create in a horse. And we wanted to build and expand on that a little bit more, especially in a performance horse context in the sense of, I don't know about you, Luke, but it was it was a very difficult mental hurdle for me to get over in terms of adopting a more performance-oriented mindset, going from a lot of soften left and right, get the horse to break off of your hands, etc., to then leading into vertical flexion, getting that horse to break over at the pole. Like that's very much what I thought about in when someone says collection. That's what that brought to mind, and engaging the rest of the body and and thinking about using my legs more than my hands that didn't occur to me until later when people had to basically retrain me to think about it in a completely different way instead of thinking about pulling the horse's face to me pulling the horse's face back to the rest of his body i need to instead use my legs to drive the rest of his body up to 
his face. And I think if, again, it's a feel thing that we can't entirely put into words, but we're going to try to to uh, explain various things surrounding that idea. And we've encouraged before in previous podcasts for people who are trying to develop better feel to think about that as they're riding and develop an awareness of it and try to try to uh, try to incorporate in the way that they ride in terms of thinking about collection as being something that you use your legs to create through the through the horse's body. It doesn't just come from pulling on their mouth. Right. I think, um, I, you know, I was definitely in the same boat as well. There was a big learning curve coming from the side of it, which was lots of left and right and breaking them loose. And you, you search for that feather light touch where you so much as suggest and the horse is like, okay, I'm there, you know, and then they stay there and they're like, I, you know, and you release the rain. The horse is like, I'm not so sure I'm going to wait here and, you know, make sure that you were committed to that release just in case you snatch me up again. And then moving from that into, no, I want to feel the horse's face. I want them a bit kind of heavy and spongy feeling. Um, and everything needs to be steady pressure. Steady. It was almost like the complete opposite in a way, which was, it was, okay, if you feel stiffness, drive them off of that. If you if you bend their head around their stiffness, knock on, knock on the bit, get them off of it. Jerk them off if of it. it was, yeah. If, yeah if, if it was pick up vertically and you feel stiffness, rock your hands, rock that bridle in their mouth, get them off of that. Then it was like the complete opposite extreme, which was if you feel stiffness, wait there, use your legs more, drive them off of it. I'm both, both approaches, you know, require, you know, had talked a lot about using your legs, but especially the second approach, that was kind of all you had was you wait and only use your legs and drive them off of it. And then instead of pitching the rein away, say like a hot potato give, slowly releasing your hands and having the horse follow your hands out, you know, same thing, picking up slowly, taking a hold of them, using your legs to get them off of any stiffness. If they're leaning on your hands, pushing on the bridle, you knock them off of it with your legs and then turn loose. And I think, I mean, they were kind of different extremes and they both have their positives and their negatives. And I think that's, you know, if we can try and kind of paint the picture here, I don't know how in depth we'll be able to get, maybe we'll, you know, we'll have to see how far we cover, but let's go first though, I guess, over the, the jerking and the positives and the negatives of that. Um, so obviously the whole point to that is get rid of stiffness. Eliminate stiffness is like number one. There's there, I guess there's two main things that are accomplished by jerking on the horse, on the reins. A is you get a lot more softness and a yes, sir. Yes, ma'am type of response. Like when, when the horse is anticipating that when it feels that picking up of your finger, like just your fingertips on the rein, and it doesn't feel anything, and it knows that the next thing coming will be close your hands and knock them off of that bridle, then they take that seriously very, very quickly. And they're like, and they, you know, and it gets them a bit intimidated in a way off the bridle. You know, I hate using that term because a lot of people like to say that a horse that's really soft and collected looks intimidated, which, so I caution that term. But for lack of a better word, the horse, in a way, is anticipating, okay, I don't, what do I need to do to not have this person jerk on my face? Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they I've, feel that... I've heard the the term used of you want that horse just on the edge of being a little bit fractious, like just on that side of the scale, just a tad, right. is kind of the feel right, they're right. going for in this. Um, and the other, the other plus side to it is 
on the handling of pressure scale. If if you're right, like from a practicality standpoint, it makes perfect sense in this. Like a lot of people get up in arms, oh, jerking on its mouth, that's terrible. Why would you ever do that? Okay, okay, fine. I'll, I'll give you that argument, maybe. But you can't win in this argument right here, which is from a practicality standpoint. And that is, if I'm riding down the trail with my beer drinking buddies and a deer jumps out on the road, am I just going to say, oh, come here, precious, let me just ease your head around it's okay mm-hmm. no no i'm gonna like scream grab that rain and just reef it around i need control like now because it just jumped sideways and if i let it go another jump step either a it's gonna jump into that barbed wire fence or i'm gonna fall off neither one of those ends well but if i can get that head around okay well then i'm safe so in an instant like that it's super quick something jumps out and the horse spooks like you're gonna pull the horse around fast and you're not gonna care or think about how soft you are being with your hands. Like that goes out the window. You can be, you know, the spokesman and the champion for the animal rights group. But the moment the deer deer jumps out and spooks your horse, it's amazing how you turn into this barbarian. Mm -hmm. And so from a practicality standpoint, if you've never jerked on that rein before and you do that, that horse is going to rear up, flip over, loses marbles, whatever. You don't know. And so from a practicality standpoint, it does make sense. In that, in that respect. So I'd uh, give it that. Just getting a horse to be able to handle that. Right. Yeah. But so the downsides to it is, like you alluded to, it can get a horse fractious very easily where they immediately anticipate a negative connotation or jerking on. And so then they start throwing their head upside down, spitting the bridle out, throwing their head up when you try to pull them around because they're like anticipating the reaction they're about to have when the, you know, when the bit thumps them. And so it can get them a bit fractious, and it can also create that this airy feeling, that that feather lightness. That can be a blessing and a curse. Maybe you like the feather lightness if you're always riding two-handed and that's what you like. But if you're going to ever try and go one-handed and especially like change leads on circles, run straight lines, stuff like that, that jerking leads a horse into all into a mode of always searching. They never know where they're supposed to be, and so they're always trying to get off the reins because they're expecting you to jerk on them. Mm-hmm. And so they're always like staying off the bit and behind your hands in a way. And whenever you say shape them one particular way, when you turn them loose or try to change shapes, they're not sure that they are allowed to straighten their head back out or look the other way because they're expecting you to correct them and knock them back into frame. And so they are a bit intimidated to try and, when you turn loose, say, on a, if you turn a corner to go on down on a straight line, they're a bit unsure to straighten themselves back out because they think they may need to maintain that shape. So it creates you a problem in the long term because the horse isn't quite sure where they're supposed to be, and so they search. And that can get into a big problem when you try to go one-handed. Now, on the other side of that, the never jerking on the reins and the always the steady pressure, I think from a the good points to that from a practicality standpoint is when you go to one-handed, it's a lot more effective because you never get that horse to where they're you know, scared of the bridle or scared of your hands and they let you maneuver them and, and they're pliable and, but you've broken them loose using your legs and it it does force you to be a lot better rider with more feel, especially with your legs, because you don't have the immediate, just knock them off of it with your hands. Um, but for going one handed, it keeps the horse a little bit straighter, a little bit, not stiff, but kind of spongy. Like it only, the horse will only give as much as you pull. And if you don't pull any more than a certain distance, they're not going to offer that. 
And the moment you start to release it, they will immediately follow your hands out and kind of poke their nose out, which works great for, say, steering, you know, turning a corner for a rundown or coming through the middle and changing circles after a lead change. It works great for that because the horse isn't in that mode of searching, like, where do I need to be? Where do I need to be? And also, you find a point of resistance as well that you can work out by using the steady pressure that you don't ha- that you don't get to with jerking on them. Like if it's hard to explain this, but it is very much true. If you use the steady pressure and you drive the horse off of that with your legs, especially when you start to take them deeper with your hands, there's just a point there where that you run into kind of a wall of stiffness in a way. It's hard to describe that you don't really run into with the jerking because you've almost scared the horse away from it in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out in a big negative way because then the horse that you run into the stiffness and then the horse immediately is also kind of nervous with being jerked on. So it's a, kind of a big meltdown, but with that steady pressure, the horse is, they're more, I guess, more apt to lean on it because it is a steady, consistent pressure. And so you run into a, you know, at some point in that training, when you're probably, you know, oh, seven to a year, seven months to a year into training, I'd say somewhere in there, when you started to kind of push the envelope and, and up the limits in a way, you run into a big spat of resistance that you wouldn't normally have run into, say, with bumping on them all the time. And when you put can push them through that without having to take matters into the, you know, elevating the pressure by jerking and, and knocking them around, and you can continue holding that pressure and use your legs and driving them off of it, it builds their confidence. And when you push them through that, then you really get into some good, um, into a good area of feel and suppleness. It, it is, you know, it's amazing when they get over that hump what you end up with on the long term. But that being said, you do run into that patch where like, ooh. You know, what what happened here? You know, like we're yeah. seem to be going backwards. But that's just kind of the nature of that being a easy way for the horse to lean on. I mean, it's steady pressure. It's easy for them to lean on. So you have to have a lot better feel to make that work. Um, so I think from a practicality standpoint, not only does it maintain the horse's confidence a little bit better, but it sets the horse up better for um, going one-handed and you get a lot more resistance out of the horse because instead of you always scaring them off of it or like telling them, knocking them off of it, the horse has to figure out to collect themselves and get off the bridle because they, you aren't just going to take the the easy out, the easy hack and knock them off of it. Like the horse, ha- you're going to stay in there until the horse actually does it themselves. You don't do it for the horse. Maybe yeah. that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. But the downside to that, I think, is a yes you have you have to have a lot more feel doing that because it's very easy to the to actually make your horse stiffer if you release at the wrong time because remember this is steady pressure and secondly um well not not only um not only like we releasing at the wrong time but also because you're you're letting your hands go out slower like rather than just throwing the reins away you're letting it go out slower so you have to have the feel there as you're releasing the reins that you, that if you feel them, cause there's like a fine line between being spongy and like dragging your hands out, taking there. the bit yeah. from you. And so yeah. you have to be smart about that. But anyways, uh, so I wanted to make sure I made that point. Um, but also from a practicality, like safety stand or training, trainability, pressure handling standpoint, the other downside is that when you do move into more and, you know, I saw this a lot with a lot of the horses that I got exposed to, 
um, that I would get to see, you know, later on and say their three-year-old year or later in their two-year-old year, horses that then the level of training had stepped up to a more finesse type of realm. Well, then they started bumping on them or say they're running their circles and to, you know, the horse was kind of somewhat leaning to the inside. So they jerk the rein across the horse's neck or bump it across their neck to bump them back out onto the circle. And it was like out of left field. Like the horse had no idea what that was, you know, and it completely caught them by surprise. And it was like an immediate confidence ruiner. And they would, you know, and it would take a while to iron that out because that was completely, it was like a, (laughs) it's like you're standing around talking with your buddies and you hear something next to you and you turn to the side. And before you can focus your eyes in on what's over there, you get smacked upside the head. You know, it's like completely out of left field. And so that's the one downside, I think, like one of the key downsides, besides them possibly getting stiffer, is the fact that then they have absolutely no idea what the what jerking or that driving pressure is. And I really think that there there is a fine line there. Um, there is a balance. I think that overall, your long term, your steady pressure and learning how to use your legs effectively and improving your feel that is your long-term win, especially for going one-handed. But in the early stages, you have to have a combination of both. And that horse is young, and they're a, and they're just a cult, and they're like mentally malleable. They're like that Play-Doh that we talked about before in one of the you know horrendously sounding podcasts with the audio we were using. Yes. But anyways, you have to have you have to have kind of a balance of both because when the cult is young like that and they're learning the rules they need to learn not only a when there's steady pressure i drive you off with my legs you need to get off of it but at the same time hey if i do jerk on that rain because you just you know fell asleep and you're just leaning on it and i need to knock you off of that you need to get off of it and not overreact exactly they need to be able to handle both so that long term they can handle whatever the case may be if it's a show horse and you know, all you ever do is pick up and drive them off it with your legs, and occasionally, maybe you have to use driving pressure with your hands. Or if they become a trail horse and a ho- and something jumps out and spooks it, and the rider jerks them around to stop them, you know, and maintain control, they'll be able to handle both because they've been taught as a young horse that okay, steady pressure or driving pressure off that bit, you need to handle both. You need to think soften and submit to both, and not panic and overreact or be stiff or push through it or anything like that. So, and again, the same thing, like, you know, with the jerking, jerking on the reins, it's the same with using your spurs or how long you ride the horse. It's, you have to be smart about what you're doing and the tools you're using are only as aggressive as the person riding it. And you have to have feel and be knowledgeable about what you're doing and go about it the right way. You can't just say, well, I'm going to get him soft. So I'm just going to go out there and jerk his head off. Like that doesn't (laughs) work that way. You have to do it with a horseman's mentality. Like the only reason you'll be jerking on the rain would be either to, you know, get the horse off of some pressure that he's really leaning on or, and in doing so you're teaching him to handle that pressure, but you're not doing it just because you felt a little bit of resistance. Yeah, you're, so you're just going to come and intimidate him all the time. Your eventual goal is to not have to do that, even though you exactly. acknowledge the necessity the of necess- it, especially in the yes, early stages in that, in that young age, there yep. is a necessity because I see a lot of horses that are set up to fail. Then later on, when someone does bump on the reins and they're completely off- like offended by it, that's a, right. your horse cannot be offended by doing stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, and this is something we've talked about before in in previous podcasts, obviously, and it's a balance that we try 
to achieve in our own program. And it's been a bit of a struggle to find that fine line of, of where we need to apply what type of pressure and when. And as our own feel and timing gets better, I'm sure we'll refine that, that line. But just from a practical standpoint of what people could take away from this, because people say, okay, I get it, I get it, Jake, I get it, but you know, what practically can come out of this insight? Well, let's see if you agree with this, because I've not actually talked with you about this before, but let me throw a radical notion out there. Don't work on vertical flexion as its own exercise. And I'll give you my reasons for that. Number one, with all the lateral and everything else that you're doing in the early stages, you're getting that horse soft left and right anyways. You're teaching him to accept pressure. You're moving him off your leg. You're laying the correct foundation that you need going forward. I've often been able to skip the step of sitting there at a standstill, teaching the horse to have his face taken a hold of and break over at the pole without actually moving his feet. Um, that to me is a needless step that actually can be detrimental in a way. And I'll explain, like you, you talked before about a horse that wants to kind of be behind your hands a lot. And that is the danger that you talked about with a horse that's been excessively bumped and jerked on and knocked off of pressure. What you end up with is a horse that's very flexible and that you can take really deep in the bridle. You can flex his head down to his chest. You can bury his chin in his chest, but you still actually have no face on that horse because he's so noodly and his mouth is so disconnected from his feet that if you go try to do anything else with him, it doesn't matter how deep you take him in the bridle, the rest of him has no conception of how to respond, how to make a change in his feet. It's just completely, it's a broken connection. That's where, you know, if you go down a fence on a horse like that, and you go to take him into the fence and, and do a fence turn there, and you pull back on the reins, and you've got nothing, well, then you end up on a horse that just leaps up into the stands and hangs himself on the top rail like a wet t-shirt, you know, because you can't stop him. You've got, you've got him so, super soft, but you've got no face on him, That if, if that makes sense. I don't know if you agree with that. That's kind of the way I look at it, is that you can have a horse that's super soft, will break over at the pole, give you his face, but you actually have no face on him. So I just, I wanted to make that point because it's... And I think that, you know, just for context too, um, I would agree with you with not working on, say, like softening vertically as an actual exercise, depending on your level of feel. I well, think you're going to be doing it anyways, but you're why not work on it going forward and around on a circle? Well, I, like I think where it it's depends, actually going to be I a, think it depends a, a on the horse's on the rider's feel. Um, you know, I think that if at a standstill, there the only value in it really is for someone that's trying to develop the feel themselves because there's not so much moving parts. But if you understand that feel and say you've done it before and you know what you're looking for, if you if you ignore the walk and the standstill and you go and just use, say, the circle at a jog and you just start throwing it in and, and teasing them onto it like that, you're actually going to be better off in the long term. Because mm -hmm. especially at the standstill and the walk, especially at the standstill, you can just bore the heck out of a horse, you know, super fast. And they just stand there just falling asleep on it or shaking their head or 
backing up and then walking forward and swishing their tail and all kinds of stuff trying to get the horse to you know you're almost at the horse's mercy in a way but if you know just sitting there waiting just begging oh please soften you know but if you if you're more experienced and you have the feel to where that movement isn't going to disrupt what you're feeling and you you're confident in what you know then yeah i think absolutely go to the jog and started on there like there was a horse in particular it's funny you brought that up because there's a horse today that is at that stage of their training and i just started introducing it at the jog today and after probably the third circle um on the you know the first time i introduced it by the time we had done our third circle the horse finally gave and turned loose and after that point like the concept was there and it was fairly easy to move on from there but you've got the horse moving you've got him engaged mentally and if you've done your homework right, it's a fairly easy thing to add, and you don't have to waste time or bore the horse or frustrate the horse by staying at the walk and the standstill. Yeah. Well, I just want to finish off my little tangent there with my ultimate point here, which is that a horse that is super soft like that, but you actually have no face on him, it takes away your leverage. It takes away your ability to actually put them in enough of a bind and then use your legs to motivate them to drive themselves up into their face to collect it it takes away i don't i don't know how to explain it. if you have a little bit of you referred to it as sponginess or just a little bit of stiffness in the face to where you can take them deep in the bridle and they're still kind of leaning on your hands a little bit they don't totally disappear and back off of your hands that little bit of gumminess actually gives you the leverage you need to motivate the rest of the body to pick up and drive up into the horse's face instead of the horse just retreating like a turtle pulling its head into its shell and then nothing changes in the body you lose if you have them like that you've lost your leverage and you have a hard time then motivating the horse to push his to shorten the distance between his hindquarters and his face theoretically speaking you you lose kind of an ace up your sleeve that you can have to motivate him because to get a horse to carry themselves correctly, to get a horse to frame up well, stay elevated, all these other things we have to teach them to do well through their body. If we give up the leverage we have in their face by getting them overly soft and broken at the pole, we make our job a lot harder in the long run. So I don't know how clear that is, but... That's my idea. That's my take on it. And I would encourage people who are green. And again, I'm not the ultimate authority on this. But when I learn the other side of the coin on how how a horse should feel in the face, what type of pressure to use, etc. It just took my own practice and working on my own awareness of it to develop some feel because no one can walk you through it and lead you by the nose and and give you their exact level of feel. It's not a cut, copy, and paste type of a deal. It's something you have to play with, experiment with, and kind of figure out on your own. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Horse podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.